Welcome to the Garden of Belonging, a podcast exploring the things that help us belong to ourselves and the things that get in our way. I'm your host, Kim K. Gray, a life coach for good girls and people pleasers, dedicated to helping them know, trust, and courageously share their voices. In this podcast, we will explore topics such as self-knowledge, self-trust, self-acceptance, and self-expression. The world needs our unique gifts. It's time we connect with our inner voice and show up fully as ourselves. Today, I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Megan O'Malley. Megan is a holistic life leadership coach and intuitive empath, a mom, a wife, and a perfectionist in recovery. Welcome, Megan. Thank you for joining me in the Garden of Belonging podcast. So happy to be here. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) So this season on the podcast, we're exploring the theme of honoring yourself. So I'm curious, what comes up for you in that term? What does it mean to honor yourself? And what what areas of your life is this concept most present? (laughs) What areas? That's a cute question. (laughs) I, you know, what comes up first is whoever knew that honoring ourselves could be so hard and Mm. such a challenge and, and such a gift at the same time. And what comes up for me is I am, you know, a recovering perfectionist and achiever and gold star earner. So honoring myself has come with lots of identity shifts and lots of grieving and things like that. Um, And it's a daily practice in just about every area of my life. Mm -hmm. And like many things, I realize I'm not doing a great job and then have to reroute and then practice self-compassion and all of those things. So it's, it's this very sort of basket woven practice for me. It's, it's across the board and it has to be that way. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like for you on a daily basis? And how do you balance sort of like the in the moment honoring with like the long-term vision of being able to honor yourself? Well, for me, the, it has to be short-term present moment vision, because if I get caught up in planning my self-honoring, it can tip over into the land of kind of control. Mm. And, and I'm preparing for things that I may not need, want, or they might not be relevant. So for me, it's really been this practice of checking in with myself more than I ever thought I needed to. And, and, you know, I'm a complete nerd for boundaries work, especially when it comes to boundaries work with women. And that is the core aspect of boundaries work that we often overlook is it starts with a practice of checking in just consistently. Who am I now? What do I need now? What do I long for now? What feels good? What doesn't feel good? What's in alignment? What's out of alignment? And so that is, that's the dance. And I forget at Mm -hmm. times because I'm also very oriented to my responsibilities and the things that matter in my life and in my work and my family. So there's, there's always a tension in self-honoring for me. It's like kind of like a tightrope and I'm, I'm dancing between what matters in the outside world and what matters in the inside world. And and doing my very, very best to honor what's happening in the inside world and, and forgive myself when I lose myself. 
Mm-hmm. It sounds like that the balance comes not from like sort of short-term and long-term, but really the balance of you versus the outside and like what is needed. Mm-hmm. And um, I love what you said about the practice of really checking in, because I think as women, a lot of times we're taught to look out for answers, for what needs to be done, for how we should show up. And it really takes that practice. I know for me of like having to come back and go, oh, what do I think? What do I want? What do I feel? What do I need? Because I've been listening instead to what other people are saying that I need, want, et cetera. So um, it's almost more than a daily practice, but just like an ongoing moment to moment practice. Absolutely. It's, am I connected to self or other? And, and part of why I'm so passionate about boundaries work with women is like, it's an actual skill to check in with ourselves. And it's a skill that most of us don't get early in life because we are so taught that our safety and our belonging is by being really good at anticipating the needs of others. So we kind of put all our oomph and all of our energy towards being really intuitive about what the world needs and who we need to be for them. And so it's like that muscle gets atrophied, the one that is like, but what do I need? And and what do I want? And what's real for me? So it really self-honoring is a practice of building that muscle Mm. and, and realizing when it's been too long since we've nurtured it and, um, and been with it. One of my favorite things that comes up in, in work like this around self-honoring or, or really any growth practice is we're all looking for this sense of balance. And people talk about balance all the time. And I had someone say to me one time, yeah, balance is a great idea, but the seesaw is no fun if you're sitting in the middle. And so, <laughs> true. so self-honoring is a dynamic process, like so many other big concepts where like you slide to one side and you're like, oh man, I'm over here. How do I get back over here? And, and it's things like asking for what we need, um, checking in practices, spiritual practices, all the, the toolkit to get us back to the other side when we, when we slide. Mm-hmm. Can we dig into the boundary thing a little bit? Cause I know you just did your like boundary week on social media and you had a um, boundary workshop with horses can you tell yes. us a little bit about that? How do, how do horses come connect with us? Oh my God, I can talk about boundaries for days. <laughs> you, just gave, you just opened the floodgates. <laughs> Watch out, everyone. Watch out, strap in, pull the bar down. Um, so part of why I have partnered with this equine therapist to work with horses is horses are like the boundary masters. And this is for a lot of reasons, just, you know, the divinity of how they're constructed. They're highly intuitive, but they also, they have relatively small brains. You know, they're like 1500 pound animals and they have, I think brains the size of a walnut, I think the equine specialist said, but their heart is huge. And their, the energetic reach of their heart chakra is massive. And so they are quite literally heart centered beings. And so when working with boundaries, people often think about boundaries as I talk about it, like the bowling alley line, like people tend to have a relationship with boundaries where we're just waiting for somebody to cross the line and hit them with the buzzer. Like it's a very reactive thing, but really boundaries as a divine sacred practice is about honoring our heart centered knowing our, our sense of worthiness, divinity, all of that all the time. 
and mm -hmm. horses do that. So what they do is when you get put in a ring with one and you're told to make a relationship with the horse, they basically are just like looking at their nails, ignoring you <laughs> until you center in your heart. And, cent and that means claiming a sense of personal power that's clean. It means wanting what you want rather than what you think you should want. All of these things. Um, so it's, it's an embodied feeling of boundaries rather than a performative act of practicing boundaries. And the first time I, I experienced equine therapy, I totally did the thing. Like I went in there and I'd seen other people make their horse trot with their intentions. And it was like, oh, I should probably make this beautiful horse um, do something cool because that's what I should do. And you hear how many times I'm saying should. Right. And that horse was like, I don't have time for this lady. Like I, you were wasting my time. And so then I started crying and the, the coach who was on the outside of the ring said, what do you want? I said, I just want him to come and like follow me around like a puppy and just be so sweet and, and tender. And he was massive. And as soon as I decided to sink into that heart space of my truth, alignment and magnetism and all of the things. So that to me is the real comprehensive practice of boundaries is it's a state of being mm -hmm. where our all of our actions come from that state of being and the universe responds to it really powerfully because we're really connected to ourselves in a sacred way therefore mm -hmm. we get to be connected to the world in a sacred way yeah that must be amazing to witness and it really sounds oh. like a deep inner knowing and it's undeniable. It's just undeniable because you have, it's like the greatest form of biofeedback ever because you have this massive, beautiful being all of a sudden changing their, their energy so dramatically because of what has happened inside. And it's like what I see all the time is people's jaws drop because they can't believe how stark of a difference it is when they sink into that space. And with people, we can project, we can, we can, say, well, they did it just to be nice, or they are doing it because they're my family, or they, you know, with a horse, they really don't care. Right. They don't want to please. They have no part of them that wants to please. They just want to be in healthy relationship mm -hmm. and don't yes. have time to be otherwise. Yeah. And it seems like such a, a beautiful mirroring, like for those of us who like are always wondering, like, is this inner knowing that I feel right? you know, like that self-doubt that comes up because for so long we've been told from the outside what we should, what we should. <laughs> yeah. But to have that mirrored to us, like, this is it. Do you feel that in your body? This is it. Yeah. And how repelling the should energy is or the I need to get it right energy. And that was you know, that's super disheartening when we've invested decades in getting it right and figuring it out and, and watching women in the ring just asking like, well, well, how do I do this? And how do I get them to? And what's the right way? And what's the recipe? Which is, again, taking us out of our power and our authentic wholeness. I know you talk so much about wholeness. Like when we are seeking the answers outside chronically, we are betraying our wholeness. And so this is, this is one way, one practice where we are sort of elbowed back in toward our, our wholeness. Yeah. Well, it sounds like an amazing experience. It's so cool. <laughs> I wish I lived near you. <laughs> one day we'll all be flying again. Oh gosh, I know. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, yeah. So thinking about sort of some specific tools and practices that you do. And one of the big questions that I got from my community about this was like, what are some like, like, how do I do this on a budget? What are some low cost practices that I can do? Um, could you share your thoughts there? I grew up with a single mom and I am really good at making magic on a budget and simple pleasures are one of my delights in life. That's mm. just how I operate. And I think part of our, um, part of the meaning that we can make in life about our sense of being a failure or being incomplete is because we're just attaching to the wrong things. And so one of the things that I very much believe in is the power of small bite-sized successes and wins. And so as I sit here right now, I would love nothing more than to get in my car and go to the beach for a week and do whatever the hell I want to do. Like I would love that. And I have responsibilities that I really value that prevent me from doing that. So I'm going to use the tone of what I'm wanting, which is spaciousness or lightness or ease. I'm going to look for the, the values beneath it mm. and then get really creative about how I can create that in my present moment experience. Because we also can do that thing where we keep pushing the finish line away. Well, I can't because. I can't mm -hmm. because. And then we just go back to betraying ourselves rather than, you know, I, I can't go to the beach, but I could say to my partner, I need spaciousness. So I'm going to need two to three hours by myself this weekend in the house. Can you please find something fun to do out in nature so that I can have that? He might be a little disappointed, but it's, it's the best creative opportunity to, to get what I need. So, um, you know, honoring ourselves often means disappointing other people or having uncomfortable conversations, but it also means looking for the, the accessible way to get what we need. So there's, there's kind of a, a both and response to that. So I love, like I've got sparkly pink nail polish on my <laughs> fingers. That's a simple pleasure. I take my dog for walks at this really lovely place nearby. That's a simple pleasure. It's um, connecting with people that are meaningful in my world. It can, it can take a lot of different forms, but we got to get to the root of the root of what we need. And that's usually a values or essence oriented thing. Yeah. I love that because what, like you were saying, what we tend to do is like, well, I'm not, I can't take care of myself because I don't have X, Y, Z. I don't have this time or I don't have the money to do X. And rather than looking at that, we just look at, well, what is it that at the root I really need? And let's get creative. Mm -hmm. How can I give myself uh a piece of that now. And I think you can be surprised at what, like, even though it's not that weekend at the beach, you can be surprised at what you get from those moments. Yeah. And I often think that it's, it's more about the movement towards a thing mm. than our attachment to what we think it has to be. And, and, and serving ourselves and loving ourselves in, a, in the direction we know we need to move in often is enough, at least for now. And, and one of the things I often say is we're going to tip our hat to what's not working, but we are going to dance with what is. And 
often our brains work the opposite way. We will give 95% of our focus to why we can't go to the beach and all of this stuff we've got to do and uh, and we just pile it on our backs rather than using that 95% of our energetic effort towards being immensely creative. Because we are very creative beings at mm -hmm. our core and we don't use it enough. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if sometimes that thing that we think we want is actually not what we want or need. But, totally. it's, but it's the image of that value, like you're saying, like, okay, so I feel like I need some spaciousness. And what that looks like in my mind is a weekend at the beach. But really what I just need is to find that spaciousness. And then yeah. like, oh, I don't feel like I need to go to the beach anymore because I found it this other way. It doesn't always look like that image in our mind. Yep. And I often think of following our values or our essence as like a breadcrumb trail. And we think we might, whether it's talking about our success or what our lived wholeness is meant to look like, we got this decided thing of what it's supposed to be like. But if we just keep following the essence breadcrumbs and honoring that in micro daily ways, we may find ourselves in a land that is far more magical than what we had originally thought was our intended destination. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So let's shift a little bit. You mentioned um, discomfort, right? Sometimes I have to make others just uncomfortable or they, they are uncomfortable with my requests or whatever. Um, how do you, like, how do you approach that? Kim, I will tell you, I've built my whole career on learning to build capacity for discomfort because my, my business is based on love. And to me, the highest form of love is lived truth, lived spoken truth. That's love. And I learned when I claimed that as a life purpose anchor, that the only way I was going to get to do that was by dealing with a boatload of discomfort within and externally. So I can address both of those. The first is up is more obvious, the external. Like I'm gonna disappoint people. I'm not gonna say yes to all of the things. Um, I'm not gonna pretend to be a version of myself around people just to make them comfortable. There's that bit. But one of the things that I don't hear a lot of people talking about in the mainstream is how uncomfortable it is when we have to grieve our very own identity in order to claim our authentic wholeness. Mm -hmm. And really, we're in the season of fall right now, leaves are falling and people are doing a lot of this work I see where it's like, uh-oh, uh, uh I realized I'm actually blank when I've been telling myself I'm this and ah, uh, what do I do with it? And it is gnarly and uncomfortable and we just wanna cling to our little whoopee security blanket of, of what we've known and lived wholeness and self-honoring to me is always a stretch. Like it's got this great sound and everybody's like, yes, I'm going to the store. Let me get some self-honoring. It's awesome. But it actually requires a stretch every time when I build space for more of my parts of self. And, you know, I remember I was a therapist who was like a closeted hip hop dancer who also had a bunch of crystals and stuff, but I didn't want to show anything but the buttoned up therapist mm -hmm. version of self. And I remember the grieving it took for me to go, okay, I also really like hip hop music that's not the most 
appropriate, but the beat makes me come to life and the dance associated with it makes me just filled with joy. And I've got this other very woo side and I think I'm going to be judged for that. And I kind of judge myself for it at this moment, you know? So it's like wholeness also requires living into paradox. I'm this and I'm this, and they feel like they shouldn't go together, but they do because mm-hmm. they're me. Mm-hmm. And that can be uncomfortable. It can be kind of tight in the inner world sometimes <laughs> while right. we're making room. <laughs> yeah. I like that you brought out those two pieces because I think it's important, the difference between the discomfort from outside and the discomfort from inside. And sometimes that discomfort from outside brings us internal discomfort, right? Because we have to navigate that like, okay, I need to be true to myself, but it really feels like I should be pleasing this person or doing the right thing. Yeah. And we project our inner discomfort on the outside world. Mm. When I came out as being intuitive and spiritual, it was like this very vulnerable unveiling. And I told people, so I kind of maybe think I'm intuitive and I've got some stuff. And they were like, I know (laughs) talking about, why do you think I come talk to you about stuff? So it's, I was projecting discomfort. I'm going to make the world uncomfortable if I claim this part of self. And the world was like, Sister, we've been waiting. Like, <laughs> join the party already. We've been loving your wholeness and you're the one that's been hung up. So it, it works both ways. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So related to discomfort, um, do you believe that our pains should be honored? And if so, what does that look like? Mm, that's a juicy question. So yes, I think our pain is sacred. I, I think... Pleasure is just as sacred. I, I don't think there needs to be a winner in that, mm-hmm. that race. But there is, there is profound alchemy in discomfort and pain. There is a something that happens when we move that intense emotional energy and when we honor it. And I, and I specifically say emotional energy because our story about pain is often different than really honoring <clears throat> the energy of pain and expression of it and, and um, completion of emotional cycles. And that's the thing, it's another skill that I think we're often not taught. We're mm-hmm. taught to really immediately distance ourselves from our discomfort, make up a story about it so that we can set it on the coffee table and look at it from the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like we're, that's how we're taught to be with it. And, and pay, pain is such a beautiful thing and, and hugely transformative thing when we learn how to not dissociate from it, when we learn to just feel it and emote in this clean way. So I'm a big believer in that. That's why somatic approaches have always been something I've integrated because I had to learn those skills Mm-hmm. I, was, I was really good at making up a story, and especially as a psychotherapist before I, I went into coaching, like, I can tell you all the reasons why my stuff is messed up and why I don't do this and do do this. But feeling it was when it really became a power in my world. It, it, it up-levels me. And now when pain comes to knock on my door, discomfort comes, I know I'm being invited to the next level. I'm being initiated. Something powerful is happening inside, but I had to learn how to use it mm-hmm. and be in right relationship. Yeah, I think we're taught a very kind of cerebral approach to it, right? Whether it's like, well, my shoulder hurts, so I'm going to go take an ibuprofen. Like, mm-hmm. 
not like actually figure out what's wrong in, you know, you know, and there's, and there's place for all those things, but Absolutely. you know, and like, let's put the, that, that sadness, let's put it over there and we'll deal with it later. And it, it doesn't really move through us and up level, like you said, until we experience it, not in our head, but in our body. Well, and let's be real. We are taught very clearly from a variety of sources that there are emotions that are okay mm-hmm. and there are emotions that are not. And if we're talking about wholeness, that right there is divorcing ourselves from a big part of ourselves when we learn that early. I mean, when you, every time I'm in a store and I hear a parent say, don't cry, don't mm-hmm. cry. I just go, oh, but there's something true happening. It might right. not you know, all of the things happening, but there's a truth happening. So part of being with discomfort is also reclaiming the, the disowned parts of our emotional selves and, and letting them be part of the party as well, rather than judging them as bad or wrong. Because after working with people, as long as I have, what I know is everybody feels all of the feelings. There are just those people who pretend and deny. And let's, and all of us pretend and deny because we're programmed to do so. But um, anyone who looks like they only feel positive emotions, that is not the case. I will take it to the bank. Yep. They are swirling around inside with. And maybe it manifests physically instead. If they're really good at suppressing, sometimes that can be a thing or, um, you know, through scattered thinking, it can come out sideways all the time. And (laughs) and emotions will always find a way to. (laughs) affect us or knock on the door or try and get our attention but yeah absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. so turning to going from our pain to other people's pain um how do you honor your joys and successes when there is pain or suffering around you and is that possible mm-hmm. i believe it is possible and i believe it's actually necessary to to hold this sacred both and and as someone who definitely identifies as a highly sensitive empath it's it's a very tricky line to walk because when we feel other people's pain it's there can be an inclination to identify with it and and part of energetic boundaries is really being intentional about taking responsibility for what's ours and and giving others the space to take full responsibility for what is theirs and and on an energetic level that means like loving people advocacy all of that but also not pretending that their emotional experience is ours because actually the unintended impact of that is that it doesn't feel real good when we do that to people so Um, I, I commit to deep empathy and deep compassion and let that part of myself thrive. And I, I really consistently check myself on what I'm taking ownership of, because often if we're trying to, um, take ownership of something, it's an attempt at control and control is always rooted in fear Mm -hmm. and, and that's not love and that's not trusting. And so it's this like, really, like I said, sacred both and of, I don't want to bypass anything. I don't want to bypass their suffering. I don't want to bypass my joy. So mm. I have to keep staying really curious about what the, the true line is between the two and what is, what is mine. Staying in my own lane in a very sacred, loving way. Mm-hmm. 
It's kind of funny. I was just noticing how we have this, these messages that certain emotions are not okay. But at the same time, we have these messages that if someone is in more, more of the sadness and like pain and struggle, that then the positive emotions are not okay. Yeah. Right. Like I can't show up with yeah. my joy when in fact, I think it's even in those moments when we need to see those joys and because it brings us, reminds us of hope and what is possible and gets us yeah. through those painful times. Yeah. And our, our joy and our inspiration is what builds our resiliency. Mm-hmm. And, and when we can be connected to that, I believe it helps us be more resilient when we're called to hold space for someone who's in a much different space. I mean, two depressed people in the same moment don't have a lot to offer each other because there's not a lot of energy, extra energy in that scenario. So there's, I think there's a really mindful way of holding that space where if you're in a joyful place, you don't come in and like throw confetti and like, what's wrong with you? It's a party. There's a way of, of channeling that energy to hold the space and to, to hold that resiliency for and with somebody because we're going to need it when it's our turn to be right. held. And we need some joyful people. We need some people connected to their pleasure and their well-being and their wholeness when we crumble. So it's kind of like this, this oneness. There's a meta view of it that we're all just taking turns being the, the holder and the holdy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there anyone or any... work that has been especially supportive to you in honoring yourself that you want to give shout outs to? Mm, I'm a personal growth junkie. So (laughs) I feel like I I wish I'd known about this question before because I have all of the things. Um, I mean, Brene Brown is kind of an obvious, Mm. obvious nod. She, I like the way she's real about things. I really appreciate that. Um, and because I like science, I, Joe Dispenza has been a real powerful influence as far as understanding how to work with reclaiming wholeness that is not rooted in lived experience, like actually tuning into the more imaginal space when it comes to wholeness and um, trusting the truth that we haven't proven yet. So Mm. there's, you know, Brene is really great with the human part and Joe Dispenza is really wonderful with the holding space for expanded wholeness. Um, And I could give you a whole big long list, but those are the two that are popping up for right this moment. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And all of the healers and, and growth professionals that have held space for me over the past, you know, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. If I can give them all a nod, that's what I would, I would do. So <laughs> here's the list. <laughs> yeah. Because one of the things that I believe is often our, our greatest potency, power and wholeness comes from lived experiences, not from a book. Mm. And so again, as women, we are taught to go for external expertise to claim our wholeness and wholeness is not something that we find out there. It's something we uncover in here. And that is, most powerfully discovered through our own journey and mm-hmm. our own uncovering and our own victories and challenges and all of that. So I feel like it's important to voice that as well. Yeah. 
Yes, definitely. Thank you. Is there anything else about honoring ourselves that you feel needs to be brought here today? I think the thing I want to say about wholeness and self-honoring is it's the most deeply intuitive and most counterintuitive practice there is. So it's, it's this practice of really learning to listen and trust what you find when you go inside. And, and the action required on the outside is often the, the absolutely most counterintuitive thing. The thing that goes so much against our conditioning and our shoulds and our learned identity. So it's, I feel so passionate about being a voice for the fact that that's the way it's supposed to feel. It's not supposed to be this very linear, easy, oh, I claim my wholeness. Isn't this cute? Let me move forward. Done and done. It's, there is a tension to it, but that means you're doing it. If anything is going to be an indicator that you're doing it, it's that there will be moments of tension, of yesness inside that feels crazy, irrational, too much, whatever the judgments are. And then we, we go out into the outer world to advocate that because we dare to trust ourselves. And that feels really weird and hard and out of the box. And that's often the powerful alchemy that actually moves us to greater embodied wholeness. Yeah, and that's where that trust is so important because you have to, you have to be able to trust yourself at least to take that leap. I think you and a number of others have really been a model for that for me. In, and then I have places where I can just like, well, I'm going to just trust this and go with it and see what happens. And the more that you can do that and find that like, oh, that was really good. Like, I'm glad I trusted myself because what I had to share, whatever was valid or what I was feeling was valid. And then it can like, it just, that helps build the trust too. Yeah. Trust is a practice. We often think of these things as something we either have or don't have, get or haven't gotten yet have arrived at or haven't gotten there yet. And I don't believe that when it comes to trust. It is a practice. And the more we practice it, like anything else, the better we are with it. And so I still practice it. There were, there were probably three or four years of my life in deep transformation where I had a ring that I bought online that just had the word trust on it. And it was my reminder to ask myself, are you in trust or fear? Are you in trust or fear? over and over again. And every time I was in fear, because I was good at that, I asked myself, what would trust look like? What would trust do? And I tried to practice it. And, and that's what's gotten me to this place where now my inner compass is a lot more clear. Mm. Still imperfect, but more clear. Yeah. It's my default now rather than my exception. Yeah. Well, I want to leave us with that question what would trust do? Because I think that's perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been lovely. Oh, thank you for having me here to talk about all of my favorite growthy things. <laughs> thank you for joining me in the Garden of Belonging. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss any others. And if you leave a review, it really helps it reach and support more people. If you'd like to explore these topics more deeply, join me in the Garden of Belonging community. There's a link in the show notes for more information about that. Until next time, take care of you. Music in this episode by Dan O. Songs. <laughs>